You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. Hi, I'm Sarah from Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting. I'm a change agent, former executive director, and best-selling author of The Change Maker Ripple Effect, a book about how one person's drive, purpose, and boldness can impact thousands. I'm here to tell you that the life you want is possible with the right support, mindset, and strategy. And today's guest is going to talk a bit about that kind of strategy. But before I let you meet her in person or by voice, let me tell you a little bit about her. Our guest today is Denise Lee Yon. Now, Denise is an interesting person. She is someone I met virtually and then just felt like I needed to know more about her so that I could introduce her to all of you. She is a brand leadership expert, an in-demand keynote speaker, and an influential artist. Let me start that. Denise is a brand leadership expert, an in-demand keynote speaker, and an influential author who challenges readers to think differently about brand leadership. So she's the author of the bestseller, What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest, and her newest book, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. And frankly, that last book is the one that drew me to her, um, just reading about her. But in addition to being a powerful author and speaker, she's a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Forbes, as well as writing for publications like Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Knowledge at Wharton, Change This, and many others. I think it's also interesting that when the news media want an expert point of view on hot business issues, they call Denise. So you actually may have seen her on CNBC, in the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. And if you want to find out more about Denise, I'll have this in the notes, but you can find her at Denise Lee Yon. We'll spell that out, dot com. But in this episode, I've asked Denise, we, we got a chance to chat before we started, but I asked Denise if she will share with us the direct links between culture and business results, what an internal brand-led culture is, and why our organizational culture needs to match our brand. We're going to talk about how to identify the disconnect between brand and culture, and why it's important to fuse the external experience of your business or organization with the internal thinking and acting. And then you are also gonna find out how to get a free chapter of her book. So now let's welcome our guest, 
Denise Lee Yon. And I'm going to just refer to you as Denise. So hi, Denise. And it's great to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be speaking with you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And before we get into the, all the little topics I set up, um, I do have a question for you. What is one non-negotiable ritual, maybe a habit that you do every day that keeps you going in the direction of your big vision and purpose in life? Well, I would say it is working out. So I am a fitness fanatic and I work out six days a week. I give myself one day to rest, but I always exercise and I always do it first thing in the morning. And it not only gives me all the health benefits that you would expect from exercise, but it really allows me to clear my mind. Um, sometimes I will be you know, marinating on an issue or a client question, and I'll go out for a run, and by the time I've come back, I've got it completely worked out. So it provides uh, some moments of clarity and um, a fresh mind that just enables me to be focused and ready for my work every day. Excellent. I'd like to say I start with exercise first thing, but I don't get to it till about 10 in the morning. I do work. First. <laughs> and yeah, well, and I found, I found that if I don't do it first thing, it won't happen. And um, so that's why I, I, I do it. I don't even check email or phone, text, anything before I exercise, because I know that if I do that, I will get distracted and then the exercise will not happen. Well, what's great about that too, is you're putting your, um, kind of like your health and your own centeredness first, so that you've got, you're grounded for the day too. I like to think about it that way, yeah. So Denise, let's start by some, just some basic definitions. Can you tell me, what brand is and how you think of brand in the work you do? Yes. So the way that I define brand and the way that I use brand is that your brand is what you do and how you do it. Um, now, in business school, they'll tell you that the official definition of a brand is that it's the value, it's the bundle of values and attributes that describe the value you create for customers and the way that you do business. But basically what that's saying is that your brand is what you do and how you do it. So it's not your name, it's not your logo, it's not your image, it's not even like your identity in terms of how you present yourself. It's really what you do and how you do it. And um, you know, probably the best way to describe it is that it is how you are experienced by others, which therefore depends on what you do and how you do it. Okay, that's helpful. So is it common that organizations are um, have integrity between those two things? Or is it common that there's often an outward and an inward kind of difference? It's much more common that there is a gap between your like external brand and your internal culture. In fact, I think of the litmus test I, I often ask business leaders is, do you have a set of internal workplace or company core values and then a distinct set of external brand values or attributes? And most people will say yes, because that's, that's typically how companies operate. They think that there is a certain way that I'm going to run my company, and there's 
a certain way that I want my brand to be perceived, and they are often managed and de developed and managed very separately. Well, what happens when we separate those two and, you know, we think the external and the internal either need to be or should be managed differently? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think you set yourself up for a lot of risk and um, potential crisis um, because, uh, I mean, you know, I think at the very basic level, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, you're breaking your promise. And in the business world, you know, we talk about brand promise. And so if you are setting up an expectation that you don't deliver on, that disappoints your customers, which then opens you up to losing those customers. And um, not only losing those customers, but all the people that they will tell um, through, the, through their own social media and all their communications. Um, so I think that that's, that's you know, at a very immediate level, the kind of risk that you have when you have this gap between your external brand and your internal culture. But then you also like see kind of bigger crises that happen for organizations. Um, for example, Uber, you know, everyone um, is hopefully familiar with kind of how Uber almost self-imploded in a way. Um, and in part, um, the problem that they experience is that Uber was introduced to the world as this company that was going to um, make everyone feel like a rock star. They were going to democratize limousine service. Everyone was going to be able to, you know, put a push a button on your phone and get uh, your ride to show up and pick you up and take you wherever you wanted to go. So it was very like democratic. It was very progressive. It was very um, open, liberating. But then what we found out through a whistleblower and then other exposés that came out is that the internal culture of the company was very old-fashioned backwards it was just kind of this bro culture that was very gender biased and um and even more than that um the company was engaged in a lot of the corrupt the, the type of corrupt business practices that it said it was going to it was said it was supposed to fight against. So, you know, they wanted to fight against the corrupt taxi and limousine commissions in the city. Well, they were, you know, playing tricks on the law enforcement in the cities that they were operating in order to get around their, their restrictions. And so you find, so I think as customers, we find this brand that is proclaiming to be one thing, but we find out there's being something very different. And that loss of trust has, I think, really damaged Uber's reputation and, um, and it also hurt, you know, hurt their business somewhat, probably not as much as it could have, but I think it certainly made people really question, do we, can we really trust these kinds of new startups who make these kinds of promises out there? So, um, and then of course there were all the lawsuits and the negative press that came with the, the whistleblower. And so that's even further crisis that the company had to undergo. So if we think about that, and you're having that, I'm kind of elevating up, if there had been, even with the lawsuits, say they weren't about the internal, but just about the environment, like this skirting the regs or whatever, but had the internal mm -hmm. culture been one where the, um, their contractors, I think, are they, I don't know if they're considered contractors or what, the people who drive, but had they mm -hmm. been in a different place or been held in a different 
place or cared for in a different place, they may have ended up being the biggest champions versus people saying, yeah, you should see what's happening on the backside. Um, you raise such an important point, Sarah, that absolutely, because you always have these kind of third parties or other people who are involved in your business who have so much influence on the way that your company is perceived and how it eventually is able to, whether it's able to operate or not. And to your point, these, these drivers um, could have been um, real champions and real supporters and instead they ended up kind of being the loudest critic, critical voices in the conversation. So if we bring it down smaller to um, an, uh, maybe a smaller business, because Uber now is no longer small, they're big. Mm -hmm. and, um, and just being able to think about, okay, so I'm a mid to small size business and I think, so I've got my values on my website or that this and that. Um, how do I know how to translate those or make sure that I'm congruent? Do you start from the inside when you're building a business and saying, how is it that I want my business? How do I want my business to treat the people who work for me or with me? How do I want my products or services to be perceived? Where do you start in that brand culture piece? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, ideally you would start at the beginning, but the reality is that most of us work in businesses that already exist. And so you probably, as you said, have some sort of you know, core values that you have articulated somewhere. And I think you, the first step is for you to go back to those core values and ask yourself, are these really right for us in terms of um, are they, do they capture our differentiation and our uniqueness and the specific ways that we create value for our customers or our clients and, and then also our employees and our partners, et cetera. And really looking at whether those values are um, aligned with what you want to be known for in, in the world. So for example, I um, have been working, uh, I was serving as a, a board member of a, a smaller nonprofit organization. And you know, they, they have these core values that are very, um, very standard core values, like um, that they value respect and teamwork and collaboration and integrity and, um, as, as an organization, their strategic plan was all about um, becoming more innovative, moving into new areas, um, breaking through some of the barriers and, and boundaries that they had been held back from, uh, held back by in the past. And I, you know, I raised the point, I said, well, if that's the kind of perception, or if that's the kind of organization, if that's the kind of impact you want to have, you're going to need values that cultivate attitudes and behaviors among the people who are expected to deliver on that. So if you, so, you know, I always say everyone wants to be innovative. Well, do you have a culture that really embraces what innovation is all about, which is about curiosity and invention and about um, accepting failures as learning and risk taking? Um, uh, you know, do you, are you operating with agility and um, uh, flexibility? You know, and so you need to look at your core values and say, are these serving the vision that we have for our organization? Um, and, and if not, then you need to uh, um, identify values that you can embrace that will take you in that direction. 
And then here's the important part, is to, in order to operationalize those values, you need to identify what are the, the specific behaviors that would demonstrate what those values are all about. So, for example, if you wanted to become known in, in, as an innovative company, and therefore you want to embrace um, uh, failure as a learning opportunity is kind of one of your values. Well, what does that look like? That means um, rewarding a project manager when their project actually fails. That means doing after action analyses um, after everything you do so that you can pull out the, the learning points and then um, socialize them throughout your organization. Um, you know, that means uh, taking risks in areas that and, 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 and um, being willing to invest in certain areas that you uh, have not done before. So defining specific behaviors and specific actions that bring those values to life is how you actually make those values the way that you do things. So that's interesting. When you give the example of the organization that you were on the board for and you came upon that conversation as a group, Ultimately, did the group say we're willing to change how we think and how we talk about, like, if we want to be innovative, like, are we willing to adapt and grow in that direction? Or were, did you find that people liked the word, but when it came down to what that meant to actually live the word, it was just too much tension, you know, like it was like that, you know, that's not us right now. So I'm curious what <laughs> yeah, happens at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it was the latter, and um, where the idea of it was far more compelling than the hard work and the change that was required in order to achieve that idea. And I find that to be the case with a lot of organizations. And so, to me, I would advise companies, I'd rather see you have more attainable, realistic values um, and do them well than to espouse these kind of um, bigger, bolder values and just have them be empty words on a page. Um, because your, your customers and your clients won't believe them and more importantly, your employees won't believe these kind of grandiose aspirations and um, then you lose, you lose trust with them as well. Of feeling stuck and ending with the same result? Want to know how Sarah can help you with one-on-one -on -one or organizational coaching? Then book your free discovery call at sarahbox.com forward slash contact. Now back to the show. I think that's an important point to make because it's easy to look external and say, you know, that's what's happening with those organizations. But really, it's not that uncommon to, like anytime you want to go in a new direction, to have to really assess, does it fit, you know, either individually as a person or a, an organization? And if so, what are the implications of that? What, how might we need to shift? And mm -hmm. that's really interesting when it comes down to values, because one, one example or one, I think, test that someone rec recommended to look at is, you know, we can read a company's website and see the values, but if you don't experience those values when you're interacting with staff, not the lead staff necessarily, but anybody, mm. and you feel that disconnect, it's one way of perceiving that something's not aligned. Not that it's bad, just that it's not 
align. Tired of feeling stuck and ending with the same result? Want to know how Sarah can help you with one-on-one or organizational coaching? Then book your free discovery call at sarahbox.com forward slash contact. Now back to the show. Can you talk about like the... I guess the downside of not spending time looking at your culture, you know, the internal and external um, blending of your brand and culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there are lots of uh, negative implications or potential negative outcomes for not attending to your culture, not actively cultivating the kind of culture you want. And a lot of those negative impacts have to do with your employees. Um, because not only will you have difficulty retaining employees, because as I said, you know, they kind of will either um, not trust you or not believe you, um, or um, they just won't be motivated to to work for you, you know. Um, but yeah, then you won't be able to attract new ones either. You know, I think that there is... Um, you, uh, before the whole coronavirus pandemic happened, there was this um, kind of war for talent and labor shortage in a lot of sectors. And although I think that in the short term, we will see um, some modulation in that because of the pandemic, I would think, you know, a year from now, 18 months from now, we're going to see ourselves back in the same situation where uh, to get the kinds of skilled workers that you want, it's very difficult. And what we're finding is that talent wants to come to an organization where culture is cultivated, where there's a strong sense of purpose, um, clear values, a desirable, uh, like uh, engaging employee experience that really brings the culture to life and helps and um, engages them to participate in building the culture. And, and um, so you, you will not be able to attract the kinds of people you want if you're not attending the culture. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's all the, uh, you know, as I said, kind of customer implications of not delivering the kinds of experiences and the kind of value that you're promising. And a lot of the expectations that people have on organizations today, the people meaning customers and clients have on organizations is that you are, um, uh, you, you are acting with integrity and authenticity, that you actually are who you say you are, that you're treating your employees and your partners fairly. Um, because, you know, the, we have today as customers, as consumers, we have so many choices out there that we're really looking, looking for organization to do business with organizations that we can believe in and that we can trust as well. And so um, without that kind of the integrity and, and yeah, the integration alignment that comes from fusing your brand and your culture, you lose out for both your both external and internal people. My sense is if you're operating out of your values and you're and those have been consistent, it's not going to be a big leap for you to do what you need to do to stay consistent both with your internal team as well as your customers. I 100% agree with you, Sarah. Exactly. I mean, it, it just becomes the way you do things, and the and that you're and the filter through which everything, uh, every decision that you make flows through. And um, yeah, and I think that this this crisis is going to expose the companies who 
um, either have been doing that or who kind of risen to the challenge in, in the moment of crisis and companies who are just kind of trying to put um, band-aids or kind of, you know, put lipstick on a pig and make it look like they're trying to do these things and not really succeeding. So Denise, <laughs> will you share more about your book, Fusion? This is a great time to be considering this. We have an opportunity as we take a step back to really think about being congruent and positioning ourselves in both the for-profit and non-profit sector for working better and doing better in our in our work. Yeah, well, thank you for asking. So yes, Fusion, how integrating brand and culture powers the world's greatest companies is all about how do you achieve that integration and alignment between what you say you are and what you actually do. And, um, you know, I talk about it in terms of your external brand identity and your internal culture, um, but knowing how I define brand, we really are talking about business performance and business results you know, what, what you want to accomplish in the world and then how you're going to accomplish it. And so the book lays, is, I intended it to be um, very practical in the sense that lays out specific steps that leaders should take in order to achieve this brand culture fusion. So at the beginning, you need to lay your foundation by ensuring that you have an overarching purpose and a single set of core values to drive align and guide everything that you do. And then, you know, you as a leader need to accept your responsibility for culture and brand building and also to assess where you are today in terms of your brand culture fusion. And once you've kind of laid all that foundation, then you can start going through this, the steps that I outline for achieving brand culture fusion. Um, so, uh, should I just kind of briefly outline those steps? Does that make sense, Sarah? That would be great if you could do that, and I, I would really appreciate that. Okay, so the first step or first strategy to achieve brand culture fusion is to organize and operate on brand meaning you want to drive your brand purpose and your values throughout your entire organization in terms of the way that it's designed. And when I say organizational design, I'm talking about your org chart, you know, like um, who reports to who and who has certain, which responsibilities and which teams need to work together, and which teams need to assume certain new responsibilities, for example. So in your organizational design, as well as your operational processes. So how you actually do both kind of the, the your big processes, whether it's like uh, research and development or whether it's um, uh, strategic planning um, or whether it's service development, whatever that may be, and also your day-to-day -day processes, whether that's like budgeting and, um, uh, you know, I talk about like submitting expense reports and, um, you know, offering vacation or whatever. Um, you want to look at all of those aspects of the way your organization is designed and the way that it operates and ensure that it's that you are um, being guided your organization is being guided by your your overarching purpose and your core values the second strategy is to create culture changing employee experiences so I think, you know, a lot of people know about customer experience these days, you know, that everything that the customer experiences, everything they see, hear, touch, taste, feel, that's all the customer experience. Well, it's just as important for you to design and manage your employee experience. 
ensuring that every aspect, everything, every interaction, every step, every touch point that an employee experiences reinforces your desired culture and really involves them in this culture building and, and, and uh, kind of delivering or operationalizing on the culture throughout the organization. The next step is to sweat the small stuff. Um, so, you know, there's lots of daily routines and uh, things that you do and things that you have within your organization that send culture signals to the people within your organization. You know, rituals and artifacts, your, your policies and procedures, they all can shape your culture even in the smallest things of like, you know, what you name your conference rooms, or um, if there's a certain, um, you know, type of a certain t-shirt that you all wear on a certain day to celebrate a, a, you know, a specific moment of your history, or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, these, these kind of everyday details of organizational life actually have big implications and big impact on your culture. So you want to sweat the small stuff. And then the fourth strategy is to ignite your transformation through employee brand engagement. So employee brand engagement is all about ensuring that every employee in your organization is engaged with your brand specifically, not just the folks in sales and marketing, but everyone in your organization has has impact on how your brand is perceived. Um, you know, I, I talk about like how um, someone in accounting who runs your invoicing process has a lot of impact on how a customer perceives your organization. And they might not think of themselves as a brand builder, but they should. And so you wanna make sure that every person in your organization understands what your brand stands for in their head. They are motivated and passionate about your brand in, your, in their hearts. And then they are um, equipped and empowered with, to, with their hands and their feet to build their brand and all their daily decisions and behaviors and actions they take. So those are four strategies or four steps for cultivating your culture around your brand values. The last step is really for companies that maybe have a very strong culture, but not so much a strong brand. And so I um, outlined certain ways that you can build your brand from the inside out. Maybe taking these values, if you do have these very unique, distinctive, instructive, uh, powerful values, and how you can show those, um, manifest them in very obvious ways to your customers and therefore build your brand perception around them. But those together, um, those four, uh, you know, cult, uh, brand first steps and then the, the fifth step, which is more of a culture first step, those are the ways that you achieve brand culture fusion. That is brilliant. And I really appreciate the breakdown of the steps because especially when you think about if you don't have the brand yet, but you've got a really strong culture, having that fifth kind of um, step to be able to integrate and create the outward or the, the brand actually, not necessarily just the outward. Mm -hmm. So Denise, I know that you can get or readers can get a chapter of the book. Um, will you talk about how to do that so we can make sure folks can actually see and feel the detail of what you've got there? 
Yes, and thank you so much for asking, Sarah. Um, so if you go to my website, deniseleon.com, um, right on the, on the homepage, there is a place where you can input your email address to download the first chapter of my book um, for free. Um, and then actually through my website, you can also access lots of other free resources and materials about fusion, as well as about my first book, uh, What Great Brands Do. Um, and you know, so it's kind of my website's kind of a portal to all of those resources that are available for you to download. Um, for example, I talked about designing your employee experiences. Well, there is a template and a worksheet that you can download on my website that will help you be able to do that. And then one of the things that's unique to Fusion is that I have created an online assessment that helps you assess where you are in your journey to brand culture fusion and also if you don't have clarity on exactly what your culture should be or what your values should be the assessment will help you pinpoint those based on your desired brand identity as well and that and the assessment's free the url is right available on my site and you'll get a personalized report once you complete the assessment that's such a great gift. Um, and I'm just going to start sharing that with folks who I work with because, first of all, it'll be great information and it'll be done by someone <laughs> who's an expert in it. <laughs> well, thank you. That would be great. That would be terrific. I really want people, uh, you know, the reason I wrote the book is because I saw that so many leaders were struggling with culture building and struggling with this alignment between brand and culture. And so I really wanted to help them and be of service. And so the assessment is just part of that. That's great. So Denise, as we wrap up today, I just want to give you a heartfelt thanks for your time today. It's been great. And I look forward to um, knowing and learning and possibly even interacting with you more in the future. Absolutely. Me too, Sarah. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.